Good morning. It's great to be together in the place of God. Amen. It's already been a great day of worship and what a great new song, Son of Suffering, Powerful. Celebrating Jesse's daughter Shelby's baptism. That's exciting. By the way, if you're a family here with, uh, you're here for Shelby, if you could just stand so we could thank you for being here. That would be awesome. Not to put you guys and gals on the spot, but man, thank y'all for being here. Yep. Thanks a lot. Shelby's just a fantastic young lady. Look forward to watching her grow in the Lord and just a really exciting stuff. So like, like Brandon said, we begin a new series today, and this is actually the series that will take us up and through Easter, and um, it's kind of a companion to this series. You'll also see this on your app, but we, uh, we are writing kind of a, uh, a, a devotional that goes with it, and so you can use that each week. So right now, week one and week two are on the app. Just find the seventh resurrection on there, and uh, week one, was should have read that this past week. Right, but uh, you, it's never too late to, to start up. And then this week uh, is week two, and so what? It, what it, which you would have read last week prepares you for what we talk about today. What you'll read this week prepares you for what we'll talk about next Sunday. And so we're looking at. Uh, it's pretty interesting that you look at before Jesus's resurrection. There are six other times when someone had died, and God used one of His servants. Like today, we'll talk about Elijah. But we'll use one of his servants to raise that person back to life. And so if you go through the Old Testament, the Gospels, Jesus is the seventh resurrection. And there's something about the number seven, you know, the number of completion, totality, it's a good Bible number. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, it's arranged where Jesus is the seventh one. Um, so we're going to dive in. So today we're looking at the first one. Each one of these we're going to be focused on a different aspect, a different um, kind of characteristic of the resurrection. Today we're looking at this topic of faithfulness. Faithfulness is a big deal for us. I mean, how many of you have had someone to tell you that they would do something and then they didn't do it? Yeah, how does that make you feel? A little grumpy, right? A little let down, a little betrayed, you know, faithfulness is a big deal. That's something that you know, the Lord values. It's something that we should value is just being faithful to the Lord, faithful to each other, faithful friends, faithful church members, faithful partners in the gospel ministry. Faithfulness is so important. So we're looking at that aspect of faithfulness today. So today we get to talk about this guy, Elijah. And we're gonna be, uh, if you have your Bible, gonna be opening up to 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, when we get ready to read, that's what we'll be reading from. If you don't have a Bible, maybe um, you have an app, a Bible app. You can open that up. First Kings is in the Old Testament. And so let's talk a little bit about Elijah before we read this, this uh, historical account. So Elijah is one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, probably considered the greatest prophet. Um, his name means, my God is Yahweh. That's what his name means, and that's the, really the substance of his message. So a very descriptive name to his very purpose. His ministry occupies a large section of the book of 1 Kings. So if you're in any kind of Bible reading system or whatever, um, you, may have, you may be getting close to 1 Kings at this time of year. It's a great historical read. Um, he remains one of the most, Elijah remains one of the most important characters in all of the Old Testament. He carries on the prophetic kind of intermediary ministry that Moses had had between God and the people and the people to God. And uh, he gonna, he's going to confront a Pharaoh-like king who's very wicked, a king named Ahab, and if you've ever read the Old Testament, you know Ahab has a very notorious wife. She's probably, she has the name as like one of the most wicked women of all time. Anybody know her name? Jezebel. That's almost like Mufasa. Ooh. 
Say it again, say it again, right? Jezebel, right? So Jezebel is this wicked lady, and her name means princess of Baal. And so what happens when King Ahab of Israel marries Jezebel, she brings her pagan worship of Baal, the false god, little g, into Israel. So this song we just sang, Son of Suffering, is very appropriate because that's right where the Hebrew people were, that they were being tempted to worship a god in a statue, a god that didn't weep or didn't bleed, wasn't, wasn't living, wasn't animate. Because God is alive. He's real. There's only one true God. We're going to talk about that today. But that's what this Jezebel was doing. And because of that, God had declared judgment on Israel for embracing this false God of Baal. And so you have some great historical accounts here in First Kings. You have this one episode where Elijah, he challenges the prophets of this false God Baal at a place called Mount Carmel. Great story. You got to read it. And so anyway, there's 450 prophets against one prophet of God. And so Elijah kind of throws down the gauntlet, says, all right, let's see which God is real. Oh, this is so cool. And so there's this kind of thing where he said, all right, we're just going to have this altar. We're going to have a sacrifice on the altar. And we're going to pray. Whichever God answers the prayer and consumes the offering, that's the real God. He says, I'll tell you what, Baal prophets, you guys can go first. So 450 of them, they prepare their altar. They sacrifice the animals, put it on the altar. And they start praying to Baal to devour, to consume this sacrifice, and nothing's happening. And Elijah just has a great time with it. Elijah's over there just mocking. He's like, hey, maybe you need to pray a little louder. Maybe maybe he's asleep. Maybe he hasn't gotten up from bed yet. He's just having a great time. Of course, nothing happens, and they're getting desperate. They're cutting themselves as was their false religious demonic practice and all these sort of things, and nothing happened. And then Elijah says, all right, it's my turn. But before I go, first, let's get these... Let's get some, some work done here. Let's dig a trench around this altar. So some of, the, some of the boys, they have their shovels and they dig a trench around the altar. He said, now let's, let's just douse it with water. So they pour water all over the sacrifice, all over the, the altar, into the, into the trenches. They dig a little, pour, pour more water. Just douses it. And he just kind of has a very simple prayer. Now, now, Israel has gathered around to watch this. The nation is watching. And, is, and Elijah prays. Pretty much, my paraphrase, God, just do your thing. Fire came down from heaven, consumed not only the sacrifice, but consumed the altar, licked up all the water. There was nothing left but ashes. And all of Israel was there watching that day, was reminded there is only one God. And so in that season, they repented. That's Elijah. God told Elijah to go and proclaim to Ahab and Jezebel that God's going to shut off the rain. There's going to be a famine. So Elijah does that. So Jezebel and Ahab came to hate Elijah because he represented the one true God to them. Well, it's kind of where we pick up here. They would find, just like we find, that nothing is a match for God. And when God says he's going to do something, he is always faithful. Amen? When God makes us a promise, and he's made us many promises, 100% of the time he keeps those promises. He will never be one who says, I'm going to do this for you, and then he doesn't. He will never. Just say never. That's an emphatic word, right? Never. He will never fail you. He will never let you down. He will never withdraw his faithfulness from us. For he is Emmanuel, God with us. He promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. So, 
Let's pick up 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 8 through 24. If I could please invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Just kind of a thing we do to show respect and honor for the scriptures. And more importantly, the God of the scriptures. So, Elijah, it's in the famine. God has been feeding Elijah while having ravens bring him food. And God is supernaturally working to sustain Elijah's life. And so now we get to this this moment. Verse 8 says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and said, hey, bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, and bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go in and prepare it for myself and for my son so that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And so she went, and she did as Elijah said, and she and her, her household, and he stayed in her household for many days, and the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Well, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe, there was no breath left in him. She said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. He said to her, give me your son. And so he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. He cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? He stretched himself upon the child three times, cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. What a great story. Amen? Let's pray and we'll talk about it. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness, your kindness. Lord, thank you for your power and your might that you are almighty and all-powerful to give life, to create life. And God, thank you for your faithfulness. That because of your power and might, you have the ability and the authority to make promises that you keep. So Lord, we just want to honor you this morning. I just pray as we talk about this incredible historical moment that Lord, you stir our own hearts to be much more intentional in how we live for you, much more responsive in worship for you. And God, just much more yielding of our life to you. So Lord, be honored in Christ's name, amen. 
Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. We invite you to pull out your app if you uh, have not already opened that and go to the sermon notes. Also, you might have received some actually physical notes as you came in. Uh, We always encourage the taking of notes. It kind of reinforces what we hear, and that way you can also write other stuff God may lay on your heart down as we go. But the big thought this morning is simply this, that this first resurrection reveals to us the faithfulness of God and the benefit of faithful obedience. We're going to see a lot of this kind of all intertwined. And, and as on the onset, I, don't want to, I do want to say this. I want to have a caveat. We're calling these resurrections. Truly, there's only been one true resurrection. That's Jesus, right? Because he didn't die again. All these other six we'll look at between now and then are really resuscitations because these people would go on to die again, right? Um, but just, just to have it all under the same banter, the more looser term, we're calling them resurrections. Um, so, number one in your notes we're going to see is that God is faithful to his glory. God's faithfulness to his own glory. We see this in his whole, not just this isolated episode, really the bigger picture of what's going on here. Because Ahab and Jezebel had been leading the people of Israel to false God worship, God was bringing discipline. He was bringing punishment to get their attention, to lead them to repentance because we see that God is very jealous for his glory. Now, usually when we think of jealousy, we think of that as not a good thing. You know, it's not a good thing for me to be jealous of some of y'all because you have some really nice rides, right? That's not a good thing. We're not supposed to be jealous of other people's stuff. In fact, that's the 10th commandment. Don't covet, right? Don't covet your neighbor, his wife, or his stuff, that's just not a good thing. But when we come to God, jealousy is not only not a, it, not only is it not a bad thing, it's a really good thing. Because God is just in being jealous because if any of us to worship other gods, then we're really having a major problem. We're, we're worshiping something that's not real, right? So we're gonna talk about that. So look at what God says. There's some, some verses that has to do with God's glory and how he will not share his glory. Isaiah 45, the people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. And that word Lord there is all caps. And in the English translation, anytime you see in the Old Testament the word Lord in all caps, that's the personal name of God. It's Yahweh. I am Yahweh. There is no other God. Not one. He's the only one. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. It's what we see and this is going to be very clear. A lot of times we, we read about false gods and we think about false gods. False gods, though, does not equal wrong gods. It's not what it is. False gods aren't wrong gods. Islam, they worship a false god. It's not a wrong god. False gods equals no gods. Big difference. It's a big difference between right and wrong or one and none. The big difference in that. And so the message of the Old Testament is not these people are worshiping the wrong gods. It's that they are worshiping nothing. And because of that, that's why God is jealous. It is not good for us to worship nothing. It is not healthy for us to worship things that aren't real. To live in a fairyland, it's not good. So God is jealous for his own glory, but he's also jealous on our behalf. 
It is not good for us to worship anything other than the God of the universe. Because if we do, we are worshiping nothing at all. We're spending our affection on nothing. It's like you take all your hard-earned retirement money over the years, and you go and you cash it out. You bring all that cash to your home. Okay, I'm going to age myself here. How many of you remember the Bugs Bunny cartoon? All right. There was this one episode where grandma, you remember grandma? She, she always had, you know, Tweety Bird and Tweety Bird, always thought a putty cat and all that, right? Remember that? Well, grandma inherits all this money, all this cash, and she brings it home and she has it in this bucket right by the fireplace. Remember what the bucket said on it? Money to burn. And there she was just throwing that cash into the fireplace. Now, how many would take a, take a stack of Ben Franklin's and just throw them in the fireplace? That's, that's about as dumb as dumb gets. Amen? That's what we do when we worship false gods. We're worshiping no gods. We're throwing our time, our affection, our allegiance, our life, we're throwing it into nothing. That's why idolatry is so wicked. That's why it's so evil. It robs God of his glory and it's horrible for us. So it's a big message in the Old Testament. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So this backdrop of God's being jealous for his glory, we also see now that devastation can be for God's glory. Famine had come on the land. This was an intense famine. And it didn't just affect the bad guys. It affected the good guys too. It affected Elijah. Elijah had to go out and live by a creek and God would bring him food through raven. That's over. Now God sends him to this village to depend on a widow to feed him. It was tough times. The devastation can be for the glory of God as he seeks to get their attention and for them to repent and come back to him. Isaiah 45, read part of this already. The people may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. Verse seven, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Creates that calamity for a purpose. Ezekiel thirty-two fifteen. when I make the land of Egypt desolate, when the land is desolate of all that fills it, when I strike down all who dwell in it, then they will know that I am the Lord. So God will accomplish his glory through any means available. And sometimes we're pretty stubborn, aren't we? Pretty stubborn. There's a, there's a video on Facebook, and if I'd had a time to think about it, I'd put it up here today. But there's a video of a, of a, of a shepherd. There's like this little thin canal, and one of the sheep has, has fallen into this little crevice. And so there's a shepherd pulling the sheep out. Y'all seen this video? It was on like or a few of you. You pull this, this sheep out, and he, t- he gets it out, and everything's good. The sheep goes running, hop, pop, pop, jump, boom right back into the crevice again. You're like, you idiot, right? But that's exactly the way we can be. We can be stubborn. So sometimes God's got to go to pretty drastic measures to get our attention because we just go jumping right back into that crevice all over again. And so God's got to get our attention. And so sometimes he uses this calamity. We see that over and over in the Old Testament. We also see it some in the New and even in our culture today. But we see this this kind of flow. (coughs) Disaster brings realization, we go through tough times, we're reminded of several things that we're not in control, we're not all powerful, we're not almighty, that there's things that happen beyond us that we aren't able to stop. The Ukrainian people, they're beyond the ability 
to have been able to avert this. This is beyond their control. This is governmental. This is, there's wickedness at play. There's spiritual forces at play, right? Well, there's realization when disaster happens and that realization brings humility. Oh, really? I'm not the man. I'm not in control. I can't of myself prevent myself from getting cancer or I can't always prevent myself from losing a job. There's just things that happen that are beyond me. It brings humility. And when we have that humility, it leads us to repentance. God, I'm sorry because you are in control. You are almighty and powerful. You are faithful. So forgive me for departing from you. Forgive me for getting prideful. Forgive me for thinking that I'm all that. And in, in that repentance, it results in dependence. Lord, I depend on you. Trust in you, which is the very heart of Christianity, is it not? That we can't save ourselves. We're all sinners. And we know that a sinful person in and of ourselves, we can't become good enough to go live with this perfect, beautiful, holy God in heaven forever. And there's no amount of good works that overdo our bad works because we're just bad people. We do a lot of bad things. So we're all in this predicament. There's nothing you and I of ourselves can do about it. You can't be a good enough person. Isaiah 59 clears that up, that even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So what do we do? Can't do anything. Ah, but Jesus did. Jesus did for us what we can't do for ourselves. Jesus, God in the flesh, lived that sinless life that we can't live, offered and sacrificed himself on the cross on our behalf, shedding his blood to cleanse us of our sin, taking the the punishment our sin deserves for us so that now, because of the love, the might, the grace of Jesus who died and rose again, he gives us this great trade where he takes our sinfulness from us and bore that, but in turn gives us his righteous standing with the Father. So that now, for any of us who have faith in Christ, God looks at you and sees Jesus. He looks at you and sees the blood of Christ. He looks at you and says, oh, my beloved child. He doesn't see her yuck, and aren't you glad? He doesn't see, oh, there's Daniel, oh my goodness, page after page of wickedness, which is true, but it's all been washed away by the blood of Christ. We're completely dependent upon Jesus for our everything. This cycle just reminds us of that. So God uses, leverages devastation, disaster for his purpose and for his glory to bring about this process. We see number two, God's faithfulness to his word. So here is, really hone into this historical moment here. So God gives Elijah this command to go to this village. He says he's commanded this widow to take care of him. And so Elijah gets there and this widow, it's a famine. This widow's down to her last, her last meal for her and her son. In fact, she is in her mind. She's come to that point. There's just no hope. She's got her last little bit of flour, last little bit of oil. She's gonna go get some sticks, make a little fire, cook it up. And her and her son are gonna eat their last meal together. And then they're gonna die. I don't know if you and I have ever been at that point in hopelessness. Well, this is it. It's the last hurrah. It's where this lady was. And then Elijah comes along and says, that's great, but feed me something first. Many people would have said, that's pretty, uh, 
pretty arrogant and presumptuous of you, right? To assume that we're going to give you our last meal. But Elijah's not doing it for Elijah's sake. Elijah's a servant of the Lord. And Elijah makes her this promise, it's a promise from the Lord that, look, your jar and your jug will not go empty until this famine is over. What a cool deal. Now, this woman has a decision to make. Does she trust this? Does she take that risk and say, okay, I'm going to make my last little bit of bread and give it to this perfect stranger, taking a chance that just maybe he really is sent here by God, and that just maybe God might do something like this. This, this didn't happen every day. No, endless jo- jar- jars and jugs, what's well, that kind of a tongue twister? Endless jars and jugs just don't happen in every family. This was not like a common occurrence. It was unprecedented. So does she believe this? Does she trust? Well, she does. Because she trusts the word of God. So let's look at a few things here. First, letter A in your notes. God will accomplish his word, not only in you, but also in others. So here, this this woman, yes, she was trusting in God, but she also had to trust Elijah. And that Elijah was really hearing from God. And if she went and did this, that it would work out. She had to trust all of that together. So stemming from her trust in God was also her trust in Elijah. So Elijah also had to trust that God would get through to this widow and that she would feed Elijah even in the severest famine. So it's just kind of a a dual thing going on here. This widow had to trust Elijah, but Elijah had to trust this widow. Was she really going to do this? Otherwise, where was Elijah going to eat? I mean, McDonald's was closed. It was famine. There was no food available. So there was a lot of trust going on, but ultimately their trust was in the Lord. And God promises us in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be. It goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I propose. And it will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, God had made a promise. And for this widow and for Elijah, yeah, they had to trust each other, but that was really secondary. They just had to trust in the Lord. Let me just kind of get up in our, in our personal business this morning. There's a lot of times people have let us down, and it burns us, and so maybe we're not as quick to trust people again, and that's, that's rational because we're all sinners. Those of us who are saved are still sinners. We're just saved by the grace of God, and he's, he's confirmed us and justified us and made us into a saint but we still have this sin flesh with us, right? And so there's still gonna be those times of betrayals or when people don't act towards us like they should and where we don't act like, uh, toward, like we should toward others. So there's gonna be a deal where we, we're tempted just totally not to trust others. But let me also suggest that also demonstrates a lack of trusting God. God is always faithful in spite of the times we're not. So you can trust people as you trust God. If you're trusting a person just for that person's sake, yeah, you can get a little dicey waters there. But when you're trusting in God, and because of that, you're also trusting in some people because you're trusting in God, even though those people might not do exactly what you want them to do, God is still going to honor his word every single time. Every single time. 
Do you know, maybe that boss has promised you a promotion. You keep working and working and working. And you believe God has promised to show you favor. That, God, that boss may not come through like you thought he was, but God will always come through. So just trust in the Lord. Trust him at his word. Take him at his promises. At times, God will test us. He will test our faith in his word. This lady, Elijah instructs her to bring him his food first. So she does. She brings Elijah's food first, leaving nothing for herself or her son. <coughs> Took that step. There was a test of her faith. James 1 tells us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Things are not always going to go our way. There's going to be those times where we're tested. Our faith is tried. We'll be disappointed. God allows that to happen because he's also growing us. And he also is growing the people that's doing the testing sometimes. We've got to go through it with this right attitude, with this right understanding, counting it all joy. So the next time you're feeling tested, the next time there's someone in your life who's irritating you or betraying you or not treating you the way you think they should, let out a big, thank the Lord, hallelujah. Well, you sure won't feel like that, right? But that's the truth of scripture, count it joy. It's, it's growing you, it's testing you, it's producing this steadfastness, it's perfecting you in the faith, a gift from the Lord. But also remember this, that nothing, just say nothing with me, nothing will keep God from accomplishing his promise. Nothing can hinder God from being faithful because to do so would mean something's more powerful than God. And there just is no such thing. No such thing. Look at what God says in Isaiah chapter 14. For the Lord of hosts has proposed and who will annul it? In other words, no one. His hand is stretched out. Who will turn it back? What's the implied answer? No one. God will accomplish his purpose. So God works through these things. He pursues his glory. He's faithful to his word. And number three, he is faithful to his people. God is faithful to his people. God is faithful even in tragedy. So we saw that through this, through this famine, that God still is faithful, even through the famine, to this widow and to Elijah. But now this horrible thing happens. You get down to verse 17. So after all this, all this incredible kindness from God, she's been incredible kind to, incredibly kind to Elijah. There's all this great stuff going on. Now all of a sudden, her one and only son, the only family she has left, dies. He says he's so sick, there's no breath in him. And later she uses the word, the death of my son. He died. What is going on with that? God is faithful even in his tragedy. Life is filled with tragedy. The ups and downs, the death in the family, cancer, losing our job, our kids don't make wise decisions, our parents don't make wise decisions. I mean, life is filled with tragedy. Sometimes as things happen, it's totally beyond our control. What do we do with that? Well, we don't doubt God's faithfulness. God is always faithful. He promised us in Romans 8, 28, which is a promise that I cling to so many times. We know that for those who love God, 
all things work together for good. And that good doesn't always mean pleasant. That good means to make us like Jesus. That good, tied it back to James 1, count it all, count it all um, joy when you face various kinds of trials. Those trials are doing a work in us that is good. So we know for all things work together for good for those who are the called according to his purpose. So we claim that promise that God is always faithful. He will always work it out for the good of making us more like Jesus, grow in our faith, and continue to love us. God is faithful in the midst of our doubt. If you've ever had doubt in the Lord or doubt that he would keep a promise to you or doubt that he really would forgive you or a lot of times we can just be plagued with doubts. This widow was. She'd done these things, saw this, she saw this miracle happen in her household. The jar and the jug never emptying. Incredible. Why would she ever doubt after that? Well, we do, don't we? We see God do great things and yet a few weeks later, there we are, doubting again. Doubting Daniel, right? We just doubt, doubt, doubt. Well, God works in spite of her doubts. We see here this widow, her child dies, and look what she says. What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and, and to cause the death of my son. Do you see that? She didn't just doubt. Now, she became accusatory. This is all your fault, Elijah. You did this. God doesn't really love me. And that's where doubt wants to lead us. And that's where Satan wants to lead us and tempt us. Is that when something bad happens in our life, we want to default to God, why do you hate me? Folks, God does not hate you. Amen. God loves you. He loves you. He's walking with you through these tough times. One of the most powerful verses in scripture is the shortest. John eleven thirty five. You know what that verse says? Go ahead and say it. Jesus wept. That is a powerful verse. Jesus, not only does he sympathize, he empathizes with us as we go through tough stuff in life. Here's a woman who was doubting. But just like Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. In the midst of her doubt, Elijah didn't walk out the door. God didn't abandon her. God remained faithful even in spite of this woman's doubt. So Elijah says, give me your son. Now maybe her, she was doubting, but there was still some trust in her. If she hadn't trusted Elijah at all, she dare not give her son's body to Elijah to go do whatever he's gonna do with it up in the upper room by himself. This wouldn't happen. <clears throat> so yeah, she, she doubted, but there's also a level of trust there. So what do we do in those seasons when we doubt? All of us have doubts from time to time. What do we do with those? What do we do when we don't know the answers of the why? And we're, we're tempted to go the direction of, God, do you really love me? God, do you really care? What do we do? We keep choosing to trust God anyway. That's what we do. Even seasoned with some doubts, we continue to trust God anyway. That's what this woman does, this widow here in this town of Zarephath. So Elijah takes this boy up and don't know what it is about him uh, laying himself on the child's body three times. There's a lot of silence in different commentaries about what that has to do. And you don't see really people doing that again. So it was just a, I don't know, three times emphatic. But he lays on the boy three times and cries out to God, appeals to God to be kind and gracious and to revive this child. And amazingly, God does. He does. So we see lastly here that God is faithful through our obedience. 
Elijah, this was, again, unprecedented. It's not like Elijah had a playbook for this, how to revive a, a dead boy. You know, he didn't have a manual on that. It, it had never happened before. It's not like he had a story to go back to and like, okay, so back in the day of Moses, Moses did, no, Moses didn't do that. Couldn't go back to well, Abraham. Ab- no, Abraham didn't. No one had done this. This was like a new thing. So Elijah demonstrated a great deal of obedience to be led by the Lord to even go up in the room and attempt this, right? To go over and just, I'm gonna pray for God to revive this boy. Never had happened before. But God was faithful because Elijah was obedient. If you're obedient, God guarantees you his faithfulness. And through our obedience, God is faithful not only to you, but also to others. His his faithfulness is great. I remember when we were planting a church, years 1999, and we had started a a couple of Bible studies. We had one Bible study in our apartment, had about 10 to 12 to come to that. And we started another Bible study in a neighborhood in the area we were trying to plant this church. We had about 10 to 12 come to that. We started a third Bible study. And so by that time, we, you know, we had about 30-ish people and they're all in for this new church start and it's kind of exciting, but we didn't have a place to meet on a Sunday. So we decided, hey, we need to start meeting on Sunday and worshiping the Lord together, all together. So we started going out and God really placed in our heart this brand new state-of-the-art high school. Beautiful, large, Antioch High School up on the southeast side of Nashville, Tennessee. And we prayed. And so we said, we're gonna go prayer walking. You know, my theology wasn't super great back then. We're going to claim it. We're going to claim it for Jesus, right? So we go and we pray. We, we named it and claimed it. You know, you know, I'm not a huge advocate these days. Claim the promises of God, yes, but we don't tell God what to do. But anyway, we went, we, we were claiming this, this place, Antioch High School. We prayed around it, you know, and, and so I'm 27 years old at the time. Thought I had all the answers. So anyway, I, I'm going into this high school. I'm going to meet with the principal. And I just know she's going to be. I'm so excited that the church wants to meet here. Absolutely. So I walk in there and her, I'm not going to tell her name, but anyway, so I go in there to this lady's office. We'll call her Sue. So I went into Sue's office. There's no coins. I mean, it's, okay, that's her first name. So I went to Sue's office and uh, I said, yes, my name is Daniel Carr. I'm pastor of this new church plan. We just need a place to meet. Yada, yada, give him a whole spiel. He says, well, I'm a devout atheist. So no, I was floored. God, didn't you say? No, I was like floored. So I walked out dejected, go back and tell our church, plant the Bible studies. And so we started praying. About it. During that time, we started meeting in a house. Like this uh, chairman of the deacons for our sponsoring church, he bought another house and moved and he was very well off. And so this house he left had this big Florida room in the back. I'd never even heard of a Florida room before. It was like a sun, it's like a sunroom on steroids. It's huge. We still have like 60 chairs in this Florida room. So we started meeting there and grew to about 80. But we knew this couldn't be our permanent solution. So we uh, played around that high school again. I went and talked to her again. Said, Sue, have you changed your mind? We just, we'd really love to meet here. This is great, right? It's right smack dab in where we're trying to target. It's a great location. We've got a beautiful facility. You know, I, I promise we'll be servants. We'll, we'll take care of your teachers. We'll, and we, yeah, we'd already started writing cards to teachers and we were like trying to bless the, the school and everything. And she just still said a hard no. Man, 
And then the guy sold the house. So we're like, what do we do now? So we found a good old machine shop. Set up church in a machine shop. Had to back the cargo truck out every Sunday morning and it had leaked all kinds of oil. So I had to put oil, you know, dry sweep on it, scrape it up and set up chairs and right in the middle of all these steel presses. I mean, just glorious for a church, right? We put the children's ministry in the office area so that they wouldn't, you know, get little metal flakes in their skin and get, we would get sued. So anyway, church planting is great. So anyway, so we get into this, uh, you know, this machine shop and it's, it's like November, December, starting to get cold. The heating in there is not great. So we were like, I was preaching in my heavy coat and bogging cap on and people in there, you know, listening like this. We grew from 80 to 40. But you know, God still showed up in that place. So as people get saved there. Once again, we went in December, we prayer walked around Antioch High School. January comes. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, my cell phone rings. I answer my phone. I said, this is Daniel. He says, yeah, my name is so-and-so. I'm with uh, Davidson County. That's Nashville's county. Davidson County Board of Education. I understand you would like to meet in Antioch High School. Yes, ma'am. We'd love to. So, okay, that's great. Just go ahead and go to the high school. Sue will meet with you, and she'll set up everything you need. And this is incredible. So I go over to the office, and I asked the lady that I was talking to, I said, what, what happened? Because we, uh, we were told no by, by Sue. She said, well... State law is that if a school let, lets any organization use their facility, they have to let all organizations use their facility. So you have to be able to use the facility. So, oh, okay, great. I'm, I'm not going to complain about that. So I go to Sue, and um, Sue says, yeah, I'm glad this is working out for you. I said, well, how did this happen? What, what, what changed? I said, well, there was another pastor in the area that wanted to meet here. He was being faithful to his calling. But I had to say, in all fairness, that you had asked first. And so we got Antioch High School. Met there for four years. But I met that other pastor, and he had been starting trying to start a church. He had like about five people, and he was getting ready to throw in the towel and going to be part of another church anyway. But because of his faithfulness, it opened up the door for our church plant. And God was just kind of orchestrating this whole thing. Amazing. So we had a big celebration the first day we got in to Antioch High School. It was incredible. It was incredible. God was so faithful. But it was through the obedience of so many people that God demonstrated his kindness, his goodness, his graciousness, his faithfulness to us. That's the way he works today. He is faithful through obedience. I mean, how did you hear the gospel? Someone was obedient to the Lord to share the great news with you, right? I mean, how was it that you came to find out about Canaan? God was gracious. Maybe it was someone who invited you. Maybe it was God led you to the website. Maybe it was a friend. But all God's faithfulness usually happens through our obedience. So our obedience to the Lord is a big deal. You know, back to our story as we close out here. You read a lot of ancient Jewish commentaries and rabbis' writings. In ancient Judaism, there's the firm belief 
that the son of this widow in Zarephath is none other than the prophet Jonah. It's kind of an interesting connection, isn't it? So can you imagine, what if Elijah hadn't been obedient? What if the widow hadn't trusted? There'd be no story of Jonah. There'd be no appeal to the Ninevites to repent. Our kids would not be hearing stories of a big fish today. Obedience, so critical. Why do we obey? Jesus says, obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. Do you love Jesus? Talk about how much God loves you, but do you love him? you have genuine affection and longing to live for him, to honor him, to please him in your life? It only comes from a true loving relationship with him. And that's what the gospel is all about. Do you have that relationship with Jesus? I invite you to stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer as we wrap this up today. If you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a great day to do that. Be saved, be justified, to embrace what he has done for you on the cross, who is death, burial, and resurrection. That that is for you and for me. But it's not automatic. You have to trust in him. You have to receive him. You have to lay your life down at his feet. If you've never done that, this is a great time to do that. Others of you, maybe you're wrestling with things about obedience. Maybe there's some areas in your life you're not being obedient. You're not just robbing yourself, robbing others. We're all connected. I mean, it's a great day and a great moment to repent, to turn back to the Lord. Maybe you're in a season where there's disaster that's happening to you and your family. Sickness, job loss. Maybe it's time for you to hit that cycle of you have disaster. There's also reminders that brings humility. That humility brings repentance. That repentance means dependence. And you be reminded this morning that you are to depend on Jesus first and foremost. So I'm going to give you some time just to respond, just to ponder these things and just to respond to the Lord as he leads you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you first loved us. That Jesus, you came and willingly went to the cross on our behalf to become our sin, to bear our sin, the guilt, the shame. So Lord, we're not to walk in that anymore. anymore. We're not to let guilt and shame plague us because God, you've already paid for that. You've already, you've already lived that for us. Lord, we're free. We're free to live for you, free to honor you, free to worship you, free to tell others about you, free to be changed by you. So God, I just pray right here, right now. Lord, first, if there's anyone here in this room or watching online that's never trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, that Lord, this is the day. This is the day of conversion. This is the day when they go from being skeptical or being not sure or maybe agreeing with some facts to being wholeheartedly surrendered to you. Lord, let this be the day that people are saved. Lord, for those who are saved, maybe there's some who are battling with, maybe there's some tough things going on in their life. Maybe they're wrestling with doubt. They just need to give that over to you and this morning need to pray to you to help them trust you in spite of doubts. For God to look to you, be reminded of your faithfulness in spite of circumstances. God, maybe some here are very anxious about tomorrow with all that's going on in our world. God, help us just to trust in you. 
to pray for Ukraine, to pray for believers and missionaries all over, but God, to continue to trust in you. So Lord, just do a work in our hearts. Help us to take that next step that you have for us, whatever that may be. Maybe it's the next step that we've already talked about, or maybe it's another next step, like like Brandon suggested earlier, getting baptized, like Shelby did. Or God, maybe it's joining this church family, or whatever it is. Help us to make that step this morning in obedience to you. Lord, we give this time to you, use it for your purpose and your glory in Christ's name. Amen.